Section One of the History of Emily Montague, Volume Two, by Francis Moore Brook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section One, Letters Fifty-Five to Sixty-Four. Cast List. Arabella Fairmore, read by Grace Buchanan george clayton read by campbell shelp edward rivers read by jim lock emily montague read by emma hatton narrated by sonia letter fifty five to miss rivers clarges street sillery january sixteen so my dear we went on too fast it seems sir george was so obliging as to settle all without waiting for emily's consent not having supposed her refusal to be in the chapter of possibilities after having communicated their plans of operations to me as an affair settled papa was dispatched as sir george's ambassador to inform emily of his gracious intentions in her favour she received him with proper dignity and like a girl of true spirit told him that as the delay was originally from sir george she should insist on observing the conditions very exactly and was determined to wait till spring whatever might be the contents of mrs clayton's expected letter reserving to herself also the privilege of refusing him even then if upon mature deliberation she should think proper to do so she has further insisted that till that time he shall leave sillery take up his abode in quebec unless which she thinks most advisable he should return to montreal for the winter and never attempt seeing her without witnesses as their present situation is particularly delicate and that whilst it continues they can have nothing to say to each other which their common friends may not with propriety hear all she can be prevailed on to consent to in his favour is to allow him on entendant to visit here like any other gentleman i wish she would send him back to montreal for i see plainly he will spoil all our little parties emily is a fine girl lucy and i am friends with her again so my dear i shall revive my coterie and be happy two or three months longer i have sent to ask my two sweet fellows at quebec to dine here i really long to see them i shall let them into the present state of affairs here for they both despise sir george as much as i do the creature looks amazingly foolish and i enjoy his humiliation not a little such an animal to set up for being beloved indeed oh to be sure emily has sent for me to her apartment adieu for a moment eleven o'clock she has shown me mrs melmoth's letter on the subject of concluding the marriage immediately it is in the true spirit of family impertinence she writes with the kind discreet insolence of a relation and emily has answered with the genuine spirit of an independent englishwoman 
who is so happy as to be her own mistress, and who is therefore determined to think for herself. She has refused going to Montreal at all this winter, and has hinted, though not impolitely, that she wants no guardian of her conduct but herself, adding a compliment to my ladyship's discretion so very civil. It is impossible for me to repeat it with decency. Heavens, your brother and Fitzgerald! I fly. The dear creatures, my life has been absolute vegetation since they absented themselves. Adieu, my dear, your faithful A. Fairmore. Letter 56 To Miss Rivers, Clarges Street, Sillery, January 24 we have the same parties and amusements we used to have, my dear, but there is by no means the same spirit in them. Constraint and dullness seem to have taken the place of that sweet vivacity and confidence which made our little society so pleasing. This odious man has infected us all. He seems rather a spy on our pleasures than a partaker of them. He is more an antidote to joy than a tall maiden aunt. I wish he would go. I say spontaneously every time I see him, without considering I am impolite. <laughs> La, Sir George, when do you go to Montreal? <laughs> he reddens and gives me a peevish answer, and I then, and not before, recollect how very impertinent the question is. But pray, my dear, because he has no taste for social companionable life, has he therefore a right to damp the spirit of it in those that have? I intend to consult some learned casuist on this head. He takes amazing pains to please in his way, is curled, powdered, perfumed, and exhibits every day in a new suit of embroidery. But with all this, has the mortification to see your brother please more in a plain coat. <laughs> I am lazy. Adieu. Yours ever and ever, A. Fenmore. Letter 57 To John Temple, Esquire, Pall Mall January 25th so you intend my dear jack to marry when you are quite tired of a life of gallantry the lady will be much obliged to you for a heart the refuse of half the prostitutes in town a heart the best feelings of which will be entirely obliterated a heart hardened by a long commerce with the most unworthy of the sex and which will bring disgust suspicion coldness and depravity of taste to the bosom of sensibility and innocence for my own part though fond of women to the greatest degree i have had considering my profession and complexion very few intrigues i have always had an idea i should some time or other marry and have been unwilling to bring to a state in which i hoped for happiness from mutual affection a heart worn out by a course of gallantries to a contrary conduct is owing most of our unhappy marriages the woman brings with her all her stock of tenderness truth and affection the man's is exhausted before they meet she finds the generous delicate tenderness of her soul 
not only unreturned but unobserved she fancies some other woman the object of his affection she is unhappy she pines in secret he observes her discontent accuses her of caprice and her portion is wretchedness for life if i did not ardently wish your happiness i should not thus repeatedly combat a prejudice which as you have sensibility will infallibly make the greater part of your life a scene of insipidity and regret you are right jack as to the savages the only way to civilize them is to feminize their women but the task is rather difficult at present their manners differ in nothing from those of the men they even add to the ferocity of the latter you desire to know the state of my heart excuse me jack you know nothing of love and we who do never disclose its mysteries to the profane besides i always choose a female for the confidant of my sentiments i hate even to speak of love to one of my own sex adieu i am going a party with half a dozen ladies and have not another minute to spare yours ed rivers letter fifty eight to miss rivers clarges street january twenty eighth i every hour my dear grow more in love with french manners there is something charming in being young and sprightly all one's life it would appear absurd in england to hear what i have just heard a fat virtuous lady of seventy toast love and opportunity to a young fellow but tis nothing here they dance too to the last gasp i have seen the daughter mother and granddaughter in the same french country dance they are perfectly right and i honour them for their good sense and spirit in determining to make life agreeable as long as they can apropos to age i am resolved to go home lucy i have found three grey hairs this morning they tell me tis common this vile climate is at war with beauty makes one's hair gray and one's hands red i won't stay absolutely do you know there is a very pretty fellow here lucy captain howard who has taken a fancy to make people believe he and i are on good terms he affects to sit by me to dance with me to whisper nothing to me to bow with an air of mystery and to show me all the little attentions of a lover in public though he never yet said a civil thing to me when we were alone i was standing with him this morning near the brow of the hill leaning against a tree in the sunshine and looking down the precipice below when i said something of the lover's leap and in play as you will suppose made a step forwards we had been talking of indifferent things his air was till then indolence itself but on this little motion of mine though there was not the least danger he with the utmost seeming eagerness catched hold of me as if alarmed at the very idea and with the most passionate air protested his life depended on mine and that he would not live an hour after me 
I looked at him with astonishment, not being able to comprehend the meaning of this sudden flight. When turning my head, I saw a gentleman and lady close behind us, whom he had observed, though I had not. They were retiring. Pray approach, my dear madam, said I. We have no secrets. This declaration was intended for you to hear. We were talking of the weather before you came. He affected to smile, though I saw he was mortified. But as his smile showed the finest teeth imaginable, I forgave him. He is really very handsome, and tis pity he has this foolish quality of preferring the shadow to the substance. I shall, however, desire him to flirt elsewhere, as this badinage, however innocent, may hurt my character, and give pain to my little Fitzgerald. I believe I begin to love this fellow, because I begin to be delicate on the subject of flirtations, and feel my spirit of coquetry decline every day. Twenty-ninth. Mrs. Clayton has wrote, my dear, and has at last condescended to allow Emily the honor of being her daughter-in-law in consideration of her son's happiness, and of engagements entered into with her own consent, though she very prudently observes that what was a proper match for Captain Clayton is by no means so for Sir George, and talks something of an offer of a citizen's daughter with fifty thousand pounds, and the promise of an Irish title. She has, however, observed that indiscreet engagements are better broke than kept. Sir George has shown the letter, a very indelicate one in my opinion, to my father and me, and has talked a great deal of nonsense on the subject. He wants to show it to Emily, and I advise him to it, because I know the effect it will have. I see plainly he wishes to make great merit of keeping his engagement, if he does keep it. He hinted a little fear of breaking her heart, and I am convinced if he thought she could survive his infidelity, all his tenderness and constancy would cede to filial duty and a coronet. Eleven o'clock. After much deliberation, Sir George has determined to write to Emily, enclose his mother's letter, and call in the afternoon to enjoy the triumph of his generosity in keeping his engagement when it is in his power to do so much better. Tis a pretty plan, and I encourage him in it. My father, who wishes the match, shrugs his shoulders and frowns at me. But the little man is fixed as fate in his resolve, and is writing at this moment in my father's apartment. I long to see his letter. I dare say it will be a curiosity. Tis short, however, for he is coming out of the room already. Adieu, my father calls for this letter. It is to go in one of his to New York. 
and the person who takes it waits for it at the door. Ever yours, A. Fairmore. Letter 59 To Miss Montague at Sorelli Dear Madam, I send you the enclosed from my mother. I thought it necessary you should see it, though not even a mother's wishes shall ever influence me to break those engagements which I have had the happiness of entering into with the most charming of women, and which a man of honor ought to hold sacred. I do not think happiness entirely dependent on rank or fortune, and have only to wish my mother's sentiments on this subject more agreeable to my own, as there is nothing I so much wish as to oblige her. At all events, however, depend on my fulfilling those promises, which ought to be the more binding, as they were made at a time when our situations were more equal. I am happy in an opportunity of convincing you and the world that interest and ambition have no power over my heart when put in competition with what I owe to my engagements, being with the greatest truth, my dearest madam, yours, etc., G. Clayton. You will do me the honor to name the day to make me happy. Letter 60 To Sir George Clayton at Quebec Dear Sir, I have read Miss Clayton's letter with attention, and am of her opinion, that indiscreet engagements are better broken than kept. I have the less reason to take ill your breaking the kind of engagement between us at the desire of your family, as I entered into it at first entirely in compliance with mine. I have ever had the sincerest esteem and friendship for you, but never that romantic love which hurries to forget all but itself. I have therefore no reason to expect in you the most imprudent disinterestedness that passion occasions. A fuller explanation is necessary on this subject than is possible to enter into a letter. If you will favor us with your company this afternoon, at Salary, we may explain our sentiments more clearly to each other. Be assured, I will never prevent your complying in every instance with the wishes of so kind and prudent a mother. I am, dear sir, your affectionate friend and obedient servant, Emily Montague. Letter 61 To Miss Rivers, Clarges Street I have been with Emily, who has been reading Mrs. Clayton's letter. I saw joy sparkle in her eyes as she went on. Her little heart seemed to flutter with transport. I see two things very clearly, one of which is that she never loved this little insipid baronet. The other, I leave your sagacity to find out. All the spirit of her countenance is returned. She walks in air. Her cheeks have the blush of pleasure. I never saw so astonishing a change. I never felt more joy from the acquisition of a new lover than she seems to find in the prospect of losing an old one. She has written to Sir George, and in a style that I know will hurt him. For though I believe he wishes her to give him up, yet his vanity would desire it should cost her very dear, and appear the effort of disinterested love and romantic generosity not what it really is, the effect of the most tranquil and perfect indifference. By the way, a disinterested mistress is, according to my ideas, a mistress who fancies she loves. We may talk what we please, at a distance, 
of sacrificing the dear man to his interest and promoting his happiness by destroying our own but when it comes to the point i am rather inclined to believe all women are of my way of thinking and let me die if i would give up a man i loved to the first duchess in christendom tis almighty well in theory but for the practical part let who will believe it for bell indeed when a woman finds her lover inclined to change tis good to make a virtue of necessity and give the thing a sentimental turn which gratifies his vanity and does not wound one's own adieu i see sir george and his fine cario i must run and tell emily ever yours a femor letter sixty two to miss rivers clarges street january twenty eighth yes my lucy your brother tenderly regrets the absence of a sister endeared to him much more by her amiable qualities than by blood who would be the object of his esteem and admiration if she was not that of his fraternal tenderness who has all the blooming graces simplicity and innocence of nineteen with the accomplishments and understanding of five-and-twenty who joins the strength of mind so often confined to our sex to the softness delicacy and vivacity of her own who in short is all that is estimable and lovely and who except one is the most charming of her sex you will forgive the exception lucy perhaps no man but a brother would make it my sweet emily appears every day more amiable she is now in the full tyranny of her charms at the age when the mind is improved and the person in its perfection i every day see in her more indifference to her lover a circumstance which gives me a pleasure which perhaps it ought not there is a selfishness in it for which i am afraid i ought to blush you judge perfectly well my dear in checking the natural vivacity of your temper however pleasing it is to all who converse with you coquetry is dangerous to englishwomen because they have sensibility it is more suited to the french who are naturally something of the salamander kind i have this moment a note from belle firmer that she must see me this instant i hope my emily is well heaven preserve the most perfect of all its works adieu my dear girl your affectionate ed rivers letter sixty three to miss rivers clarges street february one we have passed three or four droll days my dear emily persists in resolving to break with sir george he thinks it decent to combat her resolution lest he should lose the praise of generosity he is also piqued to see her give him up with such perfect composure though i am convinced he will not be sorry upon the whole to be given up he has from the first receipt of the letter plainly wished her to resign him but hoped for a few faintings and tears as a sacrifice to his vanity on the occasion my father is setting every engine at work to make things up again supposing emily to have determined from pique not from the real feelings of her heart he is frightened to death 
lest I should counterwork him, and so jealous of my advising her to continue a conduct he so much disapproves, that he won't leave us a moment together. He even observes carefully that each goes into her respective apartment when we retire to bed. This jealousy has started an idea, which I think will amuse us, and which I shall take the first opportunity of communicating to Emily. Tis to write each other at night our sentiments on whatever passes in the day. If she approves the plan, I will send you the letters, which will save me a great deal of trouble in telling you all of our petty histoire. This scheme will have another advantage. We shall be a thousand times more sincere and open to each other by letter than face to face. I have long seen by her eyes that the little fool has twenty things to say to me, but has not the courage. Now letters, you know, my dear, excuse the blush and pour out all the heart. Besides, it will be so romantic and pretty, almost as agreeable as a love affair. I long to begin the correspondence. Adieu, yours, a fermoir. Letter 64 To Miss Rivers, Clarges Street, Quebec, February 5th. I have but a moment, my Lucy, to tell you my divine Emily has broke with her lover, who this morning took an eternal leave of her and set out for montreal in his way to new york whence he proposes to embark for england my sensations on this occasion are not to be described i admire that amiable delicacy which has influenced her to give up every advantage of rank and fortune which could tempt the heart of woman rather than unite herself to a man for whom she felt the least degree of indifference and this without regarding the censures of her family or of the world by whom what they will call her imprudence will never be forgiven a woman who is capable of acting so nobly is worthy of being beloved of being adored by every man who has a soul to distinguish her perfections if i was a vain man i might perhaps fancy her regard for me had some share in determining her conduct but i am convinced of the contrary tis the native delicacy of her soul alone incapable of forming an union in which the heart has no share which independent of any other consideration has been the cause of a resolution so worthy of herself that she has the tenderest affection for me i cannot doubt one moment her attention is too flattering to be unobserved but tis that kind of affection in which the mind alone is concerned i never gave her the most distant hint that i loved her in her situation it would have been even an outrage to have done so she knows the narrowness of my circumstances and how near impossible it is for me to marry she therefore could not have an idea no my dear girl it is not to love but to true delicacy that she has sacrificed avarice and ambition and she is a thousand times the more estimable from this circumstance i am interrupted you shall hear from me in a few days adieu your affectionate ed rivers End of section one.